This is where the fun begins. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Things on the move. Soon I will have a new apprentice. What have I done? He has become a very great threat. Back to Who's Filmographies it anyway, folks, where the points are just like younglings. Uh, today, Stephen and I uh, finished the prequel uh, saga of Star Wars. Yes, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. We have made it. We have made it to the end of the prequels. The first phase of our Star Wars show is coming to an end. Uh, but we're really only a third of the way through, if you will. So, um, uh, as always, I am your co-host and friend josh page and with me is always my co-host and friend steve molina hello there hello there hello there <laughs> oh man this uh this i'm ready to jump right into this one this is a heavy this is a crazy bloated movie this is so, good we've been building good. as as any good trilogy should it builds to this to this climax it builds to this moment yeah, I mean, maybe built a little too long, but hey, it got to where it's going, and this is like a hell of a movie. This is really something. This is pretty really something. Good. Pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty. I think, uh, like we've been saying, there's a lot to cover, so why don't we just jump right into it? Did you see Let's this one in theaters, by the way, just before um, we get started? I did. So I remember, I don't really have memories of seeing. I, I saw all three prequels in theaters because I, I was a Star Wars fan from a young age, but I, I don't have a cognizant memory of episodes one or two, but three I remember because I remember going to see it at midnight. Oh man, AMC, midnight screenings? Remember when that was AMC, a thing? Lowe's, and Stony Brook. So in the before times, even before the before times, so the before times before COVID, the before before times where I guess before- The seven really, o'clock screening? Really the Dark Knight Rises and that whole things with them, um, you know, shooting scene- you know, you know, take it, not strict, just the Dark Knight Rises, but just in general, that idea of just, you know, uh, gathering everyone at midnight screenings had just, had faded over the years, but that was one of those events. Um, yes, movies used to come out at midnight, the Thursday before, uh, and they premiered at midnight, and I can remember going to the diner across the street from the movie theater, and um, was with a couple friends, and we waited online, and I remember the biggest memory I have from that the the movie itself from that night was that two people were dressed up in costume and one person was dressed Star Wars as, movie? That's crazy. So well there are a bunch of costumes but one guy one there was one person dressed like a Jedi and one person was dressed like a Sith and they walked as we're waiting yeah, outside the walking into the wrong theater. He didn't know they, Order 66 was coming. No no clue. Could not have foreseen. But one of them well, then he's came not out. A good Jedi, if he can't foresee things, I think the Sith came up to the Jedi and had a plastic lightsaber. I guess they must have. This must have been premeditated. And he opened his red lightsaber, and I don't. I don't know if they were friends to this day. I don't really know. And then the Jedi person pulled out their lightsaber, and then they pretended to do like a like a like a duel for a moment, and then everyone erupted in applause, and then that was like it. And it was. I knew this was like an event. And anyway, so um, 
but yeah, the fact that it was a midnight screening and building the anticipation alone was fascinating. Mm -hmm. But what about yourself? Uh, I remember seeing it. I didn't go to the midnight screening. I went to a Friday show, like after school. But what I remember is um, on Friday, like in school, there was one kid who did go to the midnight screening and he became the most popular kid in school for like that one day. I think yeah. even the teacher called him up to the front of the class and was like, tell us how was it? <laughs> yeah, I remember um, being in English class the next day and the guy I remember I had said like, oh, Star Wars. Today. I was like, yeah, I saw it. And I was the only one in my class who had seen it. And like everyone was like, looked at me for a moment. And I was like, oh, wow, this is what it feels like to have attention. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was in like sixth grade, which is crazy. Like it's wild, man. So long ago at this point. That's crazy. Oh. Yeah, it's I, wild. An old man. I now have bifocals. I've, I've become an old man filled with regret, years. waiting to die alone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh. let's jump into production. Yes. So the pre-production happened in both Sydney and Skywalker Ranch because this entire movie was filmed in Sydney. Uh, I know that they go to Tatooine for one minute, at the end but that sh uh, sequence was shot while they were filming uh, attack of the clones they did one pickup shot that's what it was oh interesting i didn't know that yeah that's i mean i don't know this for a fact but i assume that's why obi-wan was wearing a hood because they didn't know how his hair was gonna be so they like put the hood on interesting detail uh yeah well george lucas was like why pay all this money for one shot in tunisia three years from now when I could just get it now. Like, if, oh, you know, that's how it's, if you know that that's how it's going to end, then what's the point? That's, uh, that is good. Uh, yeah, that's good planning ahead. Yeah. Uh, it was a 60-day shoot, so relatively quick. Uh, but there was uh, an extra 11 days of reshoots where they had to do 500 pickup shots in 11 days. Oh my God. <laughs> Which... I don't know how you fucking do that. They said that it, they were capturing like 20 shots every like couple hours. Um, it's ridiculous. There's apparently a lot of notes about like, I guess what went into production or pre-production for this movie. Um, or well, the first note is post-production. The original cut of the movie ran for nearly four hours. I don't well, know. Yeah, that's a whole, I, I wasn't going to touch that because there's like a whole online uh, swell of, Snyder cut debates right now. People want the four-hour Revenge of the Sith cut. Oh, it's been too long. Don't they just just leave it. <laughs> Not only has it been too long, but I also don't think it would work. There are a lot of deleted scenes that you can watch in Revenge of the Sith, and a lot of them are better cut. Like um, a lot of them are. It, it's good that they got cut. I mean, I think that I mean I know that the notion of deleted scenes in general for filmmaking is that like if it doesn't drive the characters or the story there's no reason to have it and with star wars there's so much there's always so much extra beyond the characters in the story that of course we want more atmosphere but at the, at, do we really need it and this is one of those movies that there's so much happening that it's like how much extra can we really throw in here even if the movie's pacing is all over the place you know the way i look at it is George Lucas likes to go back and add shit to his movies. So if he felt this wasn't necessary, if George Lucas felt this wasn't necessary, then it's not necessary. It's not necessary. But in, in that opening, in that in that note about it, the original cut being four hours, the opening 
battle slash Palpatine rescue alone, they said ran for over an hour. Now in the movie, that happens in what, yeah. 15 minutes? In like 15 minutes, they kill Dooku and get off the ship. Like literally the first like 20 minutes is that that's it. But originally uh, like Obi-Wan and uh anakin fall into like the fuel line like the fuel cells and they're like swimming through it a bit well they say the extra footage of the palpatine rescue shown in the video games uh for the movie um which well, is that's very how i know about it too because that was a good fucking video game i, I well, remember playing that one <laughs> well it's interesting that you say they show these extra scenes of them swimming through the pipelines and whatnot because it sounds like extra scenes in a video game um you, you know I, I remember playing star wars video games and they were like it would be a shot from a movie. I mean, I remember playing the episode one, the Phantom Menace video game for for, no, for game? no, the game for PlayStation. Oh man! And the whole opening scene with Obi Wan and 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 um, oh, Qui Gon. Jesus Christ! With Obi Wan and Qui Gon, thank you. Uh, you know that whole opening battle. Like, there's there are multiple levels where like they don't even show those scenes in the movie, so they're milking like a little bit of what they had. So like, all that to say is I could see how extra footage should be good for a video game, but it's. It, at the end of the day, like you said, that's just the that's just the the, the moral that if George Lucas didn't need it, George thought it unnecessary. It is unnecessary. It, we don't need it. This movie, a big part of it was starting to merge episode the prequels into the original trilogy. So Ewan McGregor's hair and beard was like made to look more like Alec Guinness. Yes. And Ewan studied Alex's performance more for this movie than any other movie prior, because this is the time when things need to really blend. For Anakin, George Lucas wanted him more beefed up, because <laughs> he wasn't like a scrawny little kid anymore. Right. And, um, but it's funny because George didn't know how exactly he wanted Anakin to look. They gave him like a huge ponytail with like the sides of his hair cut off, and George looked at the uh, the art of that he's like that is too much his quote is literally too much that's too much tuna then they just they grew back the hair on the sides of the head and it was just like a big ponytail and hated said and hayden christensen said like it looked too pretty so they cut that one too so in the end they ended up giving anakin like a version of luke skywalker's hair they like turned his like luke skywalker's hair into a mullet essentially it works yeah, there's also a behind-the-scenes video where Ewan McGregor is making fun of Anakin because he's like, oh, you took on my mullet because in, in episode two, Obi-Wan had a mullet. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, Hayden fought extremely hard to be put in the Vader suit at the end of episode three. George didn't want to let him do it because he didn't think that he was tall enough and it wouldn't um, work. Yeah. But Hayden was like no i did these th three movies i deserve to be in the fucking suit motherfucker the the look the note for that is on imdb is that lucas deliberately made the vader suit top top heavy uh adding weight to the helmet uh to make hating christensen hating christensen not appear quote-unquote too accustomed to it in the movie so i guess they knew that i don't know i guess the idea of vader what his look was and what Anakin's look was wore different enough. I don't know if that's just because of the way Hayden Christensen is built or the fact that they, that Vader is more machine than man, as they say later on to, I don't know. I Well, but, if it's to, this is also his literal first day becoming Vader. Right. So he wouldn't be used to the suit automatically. Right. Hayden's wife, he's now, he has since quit acting though. He will be back for the Obi-Wan series. 
but he has since quit acting and has become like a farmer somewhere. But Hayden's wife has recently stated that she has no desire to let her children know that their father is Darth Vader. Like she does not want her kids watching this movie. Um, which seems fair. It's 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 fair. Uh, Hayden, before the youngling slaughter, apparently the kid who played the youngling, I don't remember his name. He was like Master, Master Skywalker. Skywalker. There's too many of them. Yeah, that kid recently <laughs> said, uh, has recently come out and said what got the entire atmosphere was Anakin scared the Hayden Christensen like scared the kids. He literally intentionally like went boo and scared the fucking shit out of the kids so that they were all like... So they got that that look on their face? Yeah. He, I mean, it works. He got them... So it was like some real meta shit. Method acting. Good or friend. as method acting as kids can get, I guess. <laughs> the film... It was shot digitally again. Not a surprise. But this time the digital was like blown up to mass proportions. Uh, they were... They, to the point where they were shooting two cameras simultaneously. So they can speed up the filming production of it. And George put monitors everywhere so that everyone can watch and make sure their work is, was like top notch. Mm-hmm. Like the makeup people got a monitor. Uh, people were watching a monitor specifically when C-3PO was on screen to see how much work needed to be done because C-3PO's suit is obviously shinier in this one. It reflected a lot of the cameras on him. So they had to touch up his uh, costuming. Uh, yeah. No, I was going to say, it looks a lot cleaner in terms of the digital. We talked about in Attack of the Clones how it was the first time they had really, like, taken the dive into digital as big as as big as big they did. And so it looks a little shoddy at times, and it looks like it's a little bit much, and it looks like they kind of cleaned up the digital look a little bit. Everything looks a little more plausible in this one. A little, but then you get to some maybe unnecessary CG, like the clone troopers uniforms. Not a single clone trooper uniform was built for this movie. Yeah. It was all green screen and digitally applied. Which yeah, you can tell a, a little lot, unnecessary. A lot of the battle scenes and action sequences, um, you can tell are very green screen heavy. It's still my problem personally with them using the digital over the film look. I mean, it just looks like green screen, but I mean, it looks like a step in the right direction, I guess, in terms of the digital. Like we've been saying, George Lucas likes to push the future. And yes, digital has become like, maybe not the standard right now, but... Digital is a lot bigger right now because you can get the depth of field that you couldn't get in some of these movies, which is, I think, the problem. Yeah. But at the same time, like on literal, the same flip of the coin, it's like without George Lucas making these movies, digital technology would not be where it is today. General Grievous, there was a pitch meeting and the question that the team that created Grievous started off by asking themselves, what is scary? They put up a lot of posters for what General Grievous could possibly look at. One of them was like even a child. It was really weird looking. Um, And George Lucas even made fun of it. He's like, yeah, there's nothing scarier than a child. Um, So they even designed those those droids that have the... uh, what's it called those staffs you know the ones that general grievous has as his bodyguards that was an original idea for grievous as well 
but the one that was chosen was actually uh, like a last minute addition to a pitch meeting. The guy who created it, I forget his name, literally like put it up within an hour of George Lucas walking into the room. So it was like literal last minute. And that's and, the one they went with. And that's the one they went with. But General Grievous was not introduced in this movie, but he was introduced in the Clone Wars TV series. The, the animated, one. the um, the hand-drawn animated. Hand-drawn Tarkovsky, Tartakovsky, I can't remember. I uh, remember those coming out on Cartoon Network and they would show them in crazy. five minute snippets and they were cool. Um, I think they I were like know, 15 minutes each, but they I were I don't know if they were retconned. Um, they are no longer canon, but it's a, which is awesome. a shame because I was going to say in terms now that you're, since you're on Grievous, I was going to say I know one of the top notes, and I I knew this prior, but they say the General Grievous's breathing problems were exposed, you know, as well as his exposed gut sack, uh, were caused by a brief encounter with Mace Windu in the Clone Wars, the Tar- Tarkovsky ones, mm-hmm. um, where Mace Windu force gripped Grievous um, and crushing the cyborg's chest panel. However, in Clone Wars, as of 2008, Grievous has seemed to have always had breathing problems. So I don't know. Well, the breathing was- problem, ironically, started because George Lucas had a cough on the set. That's where the yeah, coughing came from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always thought it was a cool detail. I just I think in terms of the continuity of the of the films, it's, it's a shame that they didn't really explain that because I think funny. that's a cool the, little detail. There's definitely more of that in Clone Wars. If the a canon version of Clone Wars, they get into Grievous more, though we don't know his true backstory. There's no official canon backstory to him yet which I think would be interesting. He is an interesting character. If he's got, yeah. But he has the mall problem where he's not, or like Phantom Menace mall problem where there's no real development. He's just in and he's out within like a matter of yeah, 10 minutes of screen time total. We'll cover, we'll cover him later. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the, only, the last couple things I have are editing. It's no shock that George Lucas loves the editing process. He says that's his favorite part of the movie anyway. And he would reinvent sequences in the editing process entirely. Like he would move characters around. He would change the direction. Like there's a moment when he says, let's let's flip this, like flip the image. So he literally flipped Anakin and Obi-Wan's duels so that they were moving from left to right instead of right to left. Mm -hmm. It's crazy stuff. No, that's uh, cool. There's there's a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah. So he takes his verbiage is like he takes editing to the extreme. He pushes the boundaries. And honestly, though we don't really have to get into it this second, the greatest achievement of the original Star Wars and New Hope was the editing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's what makes that movie what it is. Because it is cheesy overall. Don't get me wrong, I love it. We'll get to why it's important and why, how much I love it when we get to episode four. But in a different order, that movie can be very cheesy. Sure. I think the way it's done, the way it's handled overall, and the way that Star Wars is handled overall is embracing the campiness or the cheesiness or whatever, and they're doing it in an effective way that tells good storytelling in a way that you're enveloped in a completely fictional, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, it could be considered very silly or out, you know, a very far out universe. Um, it's because of how unabashedly 
uh, ambitious they are in embracing it all. And a lot of that is shown in, in the editing that makes it work. So, yep. So Josh, the time has come. Are you ready to get into synopsis? Yeah, let's do this thing. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, war, the Republic is crumbling under attacks by this ruthless Sith Lord, Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader, General Grievous, has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, the leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. With immense difficulty, Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, fly through the space battle Coruscant to land on the Separatist mothership. After slashing down battle droids in a Winter Soldier elevator scene, (laughs) the the Jedi find Palpatine restrained. I know we're like jumping a lot here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just want to say real quick, we don't need to harp on it, but the opening space battle of this movie, again, we didn't touch on it a lot, but it is really good. It is really cool. It's the only time I think out of, it is the only time out of the entire prequel series that you ever see space battle like this. Um, I mean, I guess Phantom Menace, you could argue, like when they're attacking the mothership, I guess you could argue Phantom Menace the ending when they're attacking the mothership, but that's like not nearly as impressive or- That's also part of a bigger sequence. Sorry, I cut you off. That's part of a bigger sequence overall. You've got these three separate battles going on, but like, this is the only time like, like the you're so involved in an actual space battle. I think it's really, you really see it in depth. It's the first time that your true hero is involved in a space battle. Like even in Return of the Jedi, Lando is the one leading the space assault. Right. And sure, we like Lando, but it's also, you want to get back to Luke, Han, and Leia, you Mm -hmm. know? Of course. We're here, it's Hayden, it's Anakin and Obi-Wan who are doing the space battle with R2 with them. I mean, yes, I guess in... Star Wars A New Hope, you have the attack on the Death Star with uh, with Luke, but, you know, I'm just saying space battle, because that was more of a trench It's Yeah, situation. it's the only time we, we see it in depth in the prequels like this, and it's, yeah, it's very effective. The whole scene is great. Yeah. The Jedi find Palpatine restrained. Count Dooku, Christopher Lee, enters the hall, doing an unnecessary flip. I didn't um, get that. Literally just like, hey guys. I guess to show that the Jedi can, whatever, they're always spinning around and doing a lot of ballet moves in these movies. Yes. Um, it's a the bit three, excessive. The three duel, Obi-Wan is pushed to the side and Anakin manages manages to outmaneuver Dooku, gaining control of the lightsaber. Palpatine urges Anakin to kill Dooku with a, <laughs> do it. Do it. A now, a now uh, parodied or now uh, well famous meme. Famous meme. The do it. Uh, Anakin beheads Dooku, and Anakin's journey to the dark side moves one step closer. Uh, I just want to harp on that moment for a second because I remember what I love so much about this movie, and I oh, we, I have a horrible habit of teasing final thoughts at the end. Is I love that they jump into the darkness and of these of what this movie is right from the beginning like this that moment is is handled like incredibly well Absolutely. just uh, with, with the scissor lightsabers and then the sound 
that I don't. I guess it's I don't know if that's George Lucas. If that uh, and that's a George. I don't know if that's John Williams. That sound effect after it's he not. Rips. That's a uh, Ben Burt who did that. Who did that? That's that sound, that's sound effect. Design. That sound uh, design. It's so it's like chilling because like you don't see it happening. You just see like the bottom of the frame, and then you just see in the distance with the head rolling, and it's just like if right from the get go, you're like, oh, this is going to be a very different movie than what we're used to. Yeah, this is going to be dark, like um, real dark. This is when and, George Lucas is like kids you should not be watching this like which, parents take your nine-year-old and younger kids out of here which is a good note that um uh, which is a good note that this is the first of the star wars movies that's pg-13 uh yeah it is well um, to be fair pg-13 didn't exist until after the original trilogy came out but right know, but of the but, prequels this is the e- first prequel this is the first star wars movie that is pg-13 that's the point i'm making so it's like we've reached a point where it's like we're gonna just jump right into it so i thought that was i mean right from the get-go i and even on rewatch that's still such a, a cool moment for them to just dive right into how dark it gets uh, <laughs> um uh where are we so uh and anakin's journey to the dark side moves one step closer the jedi and palpatine attempt to escape but are caught in a ray shield they're taking how did this happen with smarter than this apparently not (laughs) motherfucker (laughs) they're taken to the cockpit for a meeting with the commander of the separatist army general grievous matt wood grievous and anakin taunt each other but the jedi quickly gain the upper hand Grievous manages to escape by breaking the window and launching all escape pods. Uh, this whole sequence is is, what I mean, I mean it just it just keeps going. Um, yeah, no, right. The ship is in critical shape as Anakin attempts to land the cruiser. As Anakin attempts to land, the cruiser splits in half. Not to worry, we're still flying half a ship. Um, the landing strip is destroyed, but the Chancellor is returned uh, to the Senate in one piece. Palpatine assures Mace Windu, Samuel Jackson, that so long as, Gre- as Grievous is alive, war will continue. Anakin, whom Obi-Wan left at the Senate to be the poster boy, sees Padme, Natalie Portman, where the secretly married couple hold each other, and Padme breaks the news that she is pregnant. She's pregnant. <gasps> Who could have seen that coming? Who could have seen that coming? God. Anakin's dreams return. This time, it is of Padme dying in ch- uh, childbirth. Uh, those nightmares, man, rough stuff. No, Jedi uh, don't have nightmares. Didn't you hear him say that in the last one? This is true. Uh, with reluctance, Anakin tells Padme, Padme of his dream. She suggests telling Obi-Wan, but Anakin rebuffs this. And instead, he cryptically speaks to Master Yoda, Frank Oz, about his premonition. Yoda warns, warns him and reassures him. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them do not, miss them do not. Attachment leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed, that is. What must I do, Master? Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Now, I need to harp on this. Of course. A big part of this movie is how much of a, like, how close Anakin could have been to staying on the light. Oh, had, of course. Had Obi-Wan or Yoda or any of the Jedi had, had they had a moment of, I guess, humanity and reassurance to Anakin, maybe he wouldn't have fallen to the dark side. In this moment, Yoda's advice to him is you can't have attachments 
but the dogma of the Jedi, which is what Anakin is grappling with, he mentions this in episode two, is that Jedi are supposed to love. So how do we have attachments without love? It's the bureaucratic dogma that has bogged them down to this emotionless state which is what Palpatine is taking advantage of. Right, because he's because Anakin's bringing a hu- uh, he's bringing humanity humanity to an otherwise Buddhist like mentality of like we the only way to have inner peace is to completely detach from all of all of life. You have essentially. to, but it's the dichotomy because you have to detach to be a Jedi. You have to detach from love, but at the same, under the same token, you have to love. Uh, and feel the energy of the force. So right. how do you tap into the light without love? Of course. But it's, but like I've been saying, Yoda's advice is literally train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Right. It's so much easier said than done. Of course. And how do you train what... yourself not to care for something you care about? Right. And one of the bigger criticisms of this movie in terms of like the pacing is like people I've heard a lot of people over the years say like, Oh, well he becomes Darth Vader so quickly. He becomes, he gives into evil so quickly. And what you're supposed to, I, I think the whole point of what you're saying is that like, he's on a, he's so on the, in the middle of this balance, he always has been, or he's been building towards yeah. the middle of this balance. We and don't even, need to, we'll get into it later, but the moment he sees Mace Windu over Palpatine, right. I think in that moment, it's like a 50-50 shot. Right, because you know, he's completely in the middle. and he's That's where he's been. He's been in this middle Had it been ground. any other Jedi than Mace Windu, who had been a dick to Anakin since the moment he entered the temple, maybe it would have gone a different way. If it was Yoda sure. or if sure. it was Obi-Wan with their lightsaber over Palpatine, it might have gone a different way. That's actually a great point. Because Mace Windu, it's not him that he's he is a dick to him, but it's like it's also that he's the most vocally, like, outspoken he's the most like stern with like no like you can't you know what i mean like that's part of mace windu's mace character, windu's character it, his character is the personification of what's wrong with the jedi specifically in these movies the mm-hmm. arrogance and the almost blindness to everything that's going on until it's too late right uh anyway we'll get more into that later Mm-hmm. Palpatine, the chess master, informs Anakin that he would like Anakin to be his personal representative on the Jedi Council. Unsurprisingly, the Council does not take this lightly. They allow Anakin to sit on the Council, but do not grant him the rank of master. This is unfair. Uh, mm-hmm. So this here, you know, I started by saying the master chess, like chess master here. Palpatine is moving the chess piece even closer to the dark side. He knows that this is a win-win for him. Either Anakin gets in deeper with the Jedi Council or he takes the gamble. They're not going to trust him and not give him what he wants, Mm -hmm. which is what ends up happening. And that Mm -hmm. just makes Anakin angrier at the Council and gives him more of a reason not to adhere to what their dogma is. Right. And it's like you said, it's a win-win and it's kind of like what the last two movies have been building towards. Yeah. Palpatine knows what it is because it also brings Anakin closer to the Chancellor, like the office of Chancellorship, not just Palpatine, but it brings him Mm -hmm. closer to the office of the Chancellorship and into like the fold of the Republic and away from the Jedi a little bit more. It builds up that wall between the Jedi and the Republic. 
it begins so, to pay off the politics that have been not bloating, but like the the politics that have consumed the last two movies. Yeah, something that's not touched upon in these movies as much. And you see hints of it in the Clone Wars is that Palpatine has kind of led an underground propaganda campaign against the Jedi throughout this entire war. Sure. Because with the Jedi ha- on paper, on paper, the Jedi created the clone army. The Jedi went to Geonosis and started the war. It is, right. for all intents and purposes, a Jedi problem that has spiraled into a galactic civil war. Right. Uh, Anakin momentarily loses his cool until Mace puts him in his place. The council discusses separatist invasion of Kashyyyk, the home world of the Wookiees. Yoda volunteers to lead the assault. Again, something Palpatine really wanted because he's splitting up the council members even further. Once they're all around the galaxy, he can truly have his new apprentice take the capital. Well, he, like you said, he's having them do it to themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're like, yes, they're li- literally being attacked and grievous and, and the, the armies are still out there that threaten, you know, their forces. But it's also like they're making these own decisions within the rank of the Jedi Council that's causing them to split. They're all You can see them already splitting themselves, you know? Yeah, and what I'm about to read splits it further. Still reeling from the Council's decision, mm-hmm. Obi-Wan at first tries to comfort Anakin, but the war is now coming between the brothers. On behalf of the Council, Obi-Wan asks Anakin to spy on Palpatine, an assignment that will not be part of the Jedi records. So again, Anakin is being asked to do something that is against his moral code, against his mentor, like he says, and it's the Council asking him to do it. The Jedi are asking him to do something very, very seedy. Right. It goes against their whole code. That's part of what this whole, the whole problem with the Jedi is that, that like you're saying about the dogma of it is that they're trying to keep order in a way that like Yoda represents this, this kind of this very peaceful ground that here's how they operate. And then here are humans like acting on human emotions and human instinct. We're going to get to it in a minute, but part of Palpatine's appeal and part of what he's doing here is he's showing the Jedi and the Sith are not as different as most people think they are. We'll get to that Mm -hmm. in a minute, though. Of course. Uh, But again, Obi-Wan tries to push the fact, I'm not asking you to do this, but the council is asking you. Yeah, it's it's shady. En route to the Republic cruiser, Yoda, Mace, and Obi-Wan discuss Anakin. Mace flat out says he does not trust him. Yoda is also having doubts that the prophecy may have been misread. Obi-Wan assures them that Anakin has never let them down before. Palpatine summons Anakin to meet him at the Opera House. Palpatine shares that Grievous has been located on Utapau. Palpatine, playing with Anakin, expresses his fear that the Jedi are plotting to overthrow him. Anakin confirms that the Jedi have asked him to spy on him, which, again, you know, Palpatine is playing it here. Like, I'm afraid the Jedi are trying to come at me. And Anakin is starting to see that as well. They he is bringing him even closer here. And with this little gem that's about to happen, the master manipulator blurs the lines between good and evil, saying the Sith and the Jedi are similar in almost every way, especially in their quest for greater power. Then with a masterstroke, Palpatine asks, did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? 
the groundwork is laid that a Sith can stop people from dying. Not only is he giving Anakin the power that he has wanted since his mother died, but he's offering something that the Jedi cannot give him. Only a Sith, someone who taps into the dark side, can attain this power. But there's also the extra layer where in front of them, theoretically, again, this is not technically like canon, but in front of them, the opera they're watching is very comparable to a sperm entering an egg. And he is taught, and Palpatine is talking about how Plagueis manipulated the force to create life. Yeah. And Palpatine looks directly at Anakin. Oh, we've talked about that since Phantom Menace. That's a potential. You said that um, not canon, but potential theory that they've. This has been the manipulation all along. Yeah. Yeah. So, this scene. What's his face? Ian McDermott has stated like this is his favorite scene in the entire uh, Star Wars franchise. And I kind of, it's it's up there for me too. It'll it'll come up later. I'm sure. It's definitely up there for me too because you're dealing with things that are. It, you not only are you dealing with things that are deeper, but you're having a moment of downtime that you don't normally get in a Star Wars movie. Interesting uh, downtime. This is are, a good Game of Thrones right here. As, as much as I love the lightsaber sequences and the action sequences, and even like the, the lighthearted romp and comedy bits or whatever, um, it's moments like these that are, I think are important to savor because like you said, like we don't, we don't, get that often in, in star wars it's yeah. like it's moving everything forward but in a very interesting way you're building character and you're building lore at the same time which is so good and rare the council decides to send obi-wan to hunt down grievous much to anakin chagrin again a master stroke by palpatine who said i want you to lead the assault on grievous the jedi are not showing their confidence in anakin where palpatine is right before loading onto the Republic cruiser, Obi-Wan and Anakin say their last goodbye as friends. Dun, dun, dun. Grievous, uh, under Sidious's instructions, order the Separatist leaders to go to Mustafar. Obi-Wan boldly jumps down, greeting Grievous. Hello there. <laughs> Another m- memeified, uh, you know, moment in this. <laughs> Dude, this movie is probably the most memed Star Wars movie of any of them. It probably is. There's so many of them. Um, Grievous breaks apart his arms and ignites four lightsabers uh with the landing of the clone army grievous is put on the run the council orders anakin to alert palpatine what is happening on Utapau. that's what i meant Utapau. um ki adi mundi uh mace and yoda linger and express dark thoughts that if palpatine does not step down the council may have no choice but to take over the republic anakin enters palpatine's office as he is looking at the death star plans Knowing the war will end imminently, Palpatine finally reveals that he knows the dark side, but more importantly, can help Anakin to save Padme from death. Uh, it's the uh, that's the knife in there, right? You know everything he's been teasing, and he knows. But yeah, that, he it, knows it, this is a bastard. man who knows how to manipulate. This is a man who knows how to manipulate. Uh, Anakin says he's going to turn Palpatine over to the Jedi Council. On Utapau, uh, Obi Wan kills Grievous in an uncivilized way with a blaster. Um, the moment will come up later, but I love that whole sequence. So uncivilized. It's uh, everything about it's uh, amazing. But uh, Mace, uh, Kit Fisto, uh, eight, Agen, is that what it is? Agen, Agen Kalar, and Say, Say, Yep. 
I, I, I clearly have studied these characters and their names very well. Um, they enter Palpatine's chambers and immediately ignite their, sa uh, their sabers. Palpatine springs into action, killing the three of the Jedi instantaneously. Another moment like with the opening of this, with when they behead Dooku, was some, I, I just, that, and they, they showed it, I remember it from the trailers, I remember getting like goosebumps when they have that moment where um, uh, Palpatine's lightsaber just like kind of just enters his hand. It's so different than like, you know, this other... Yeah, uh, Anna, uh, his lightsaber just entering his hand is George Lucas's homage to Taxi Driver when the gun, when uh, he built, when Travis builds the yeah sliding thing that the gun could just pop into his hand. It's good because like otherwise it's very like I don't know. There's something about like how quick it happens and yeah. how just that this again with the sound effects and him just it's really what's even funnier is uh, Ian McDermott. Uh, when making this sequence was like, I didn't even know he can knew how to use a lightsaber. <laughs> I just thought well, he used the force. It's great. Cause it's the first time you see it. You don't see it coming at like at all. Like, yeah. so it's really like, holy shit. So it's a great, I, holy, I, great. Uh, holy the Senate. Oh, yeah. it's so but something that's interesting in, again, like quasi canon is that Sidious was a master duelist, obviously like master duelist, but he hated lightsabers he found them beneath his ability and the line in return in yeah, return of the jedi when he's talking about a lightsaber he refers to it as a jedi's weapon i was gonna say yeah he sees it as a jedi weapon yeah and uh, beneath his ability i think it's great character development that even you know like we expect jedi and sith to fight with lightsabers but the idea that they all have they have these different opinions on them even something as simple as that as had the way that they have their dialogue about it even if oh, they you do you gotta have an opinion <laughs> oh man i shot mopping in the face <laughs> mace seemingly gets the upper hand right before anakin walks into the office palpatine sh uh, shoots lightning at mace the lightning deflects back onto himself as we would see throughout this franchise um building sympathy uh, from anakin and leaving mace with no choice but to kill as Mace brings down his lightsaber, Anakin ignites his and cuts off Mace's hand. With a smile, Palpatine shoots Mace out the window, proclaiming power, unlimited power. Now, here's uh, my question. Yeah. This has been a long debate in the Star Wars community. Did Mace get him down, or did he choose to go down in that moment? What do you mean? The moment that Mace kicks Sidious's lightsaber out of his hand and pushes him against the window, did Sidious plan that? Or did Mace actually get him down? No, I think that's just that's just straightforward. I think that's how I've always seen it. Mace Window just got him down. Why? What, what's the other theory that it's... The other theory is that Sidious knew that Anakin was about to enter the chambers um, and brought himself in a vulnerable position to build up sympathy. I do. I, I So I, I see what you're saying now. So I, I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that in that moment, Mace Window was genuinely overpowering Sidious I do like Sidious is, is powerful but I think and but I think that in that moment he was overpowered but I think that Sidious knew that he wanted this he knew he wanted Anakin to get to where he would because his plan wouldn't have worked if it was just him you know what I mean he knew the, the potential and so I think maybe he underplayed like that whole idea of like I'm too weak or or you know what I mean like he's playing off like I'm he's Which definitely why active. I'm inclined to believe that Sidious kind of went down with intentionally i i feel like 
he set that up because I see what you're saying because he's setting up Anakin to feel bad for him. Like he's exactly clearly playing into like, no, no, like he's literally, he's like a a pathetic, he's literally becoming an old man in this sequence because he's shooting himself with lightning. He's building, he's garnering sympathy. So it's just like, I don't know. I feel like he might've been doing it on purpose. And again, him blasting himself in the face was a matter of building sympathy in the Senate as well. Because you can't just walk away from a Jedi attack unscathed. Right. I think it's a good, I don't know. It's a, I mean, it works because it just shows his manipulation in a, um, in a, in a literal manifestation. It's not dialogue or anything. You're watching him literally, you know, having this, um, he's literally dying. And so it's kind of just a very, it's a very interesting It's like, I don't know. Yeah. What's his face? Samuel L. Jackson is adamant that like Mace got him down. So, you know, I, I, um, it, who knows? I don't know. I like that, though. I like that there's a even the whole debate of it. I like that idea. I've never heard that before. But um, Palpatine's head drops with, with an orgasmic look on his face. To literally, say he would literally see his vinegar strokes. <laughs> Anakin's still in shock. Asking, what have I done? You're fulfilling your destiny, Anakin. Anakin pledges his allegiance to Sidious, who then anoints him as his new apprentice, Darth Vader. Uh, Sidious instructs Vader to go to the Jedi Temple and kill everyone, then go to Mustafar to kill the Separatist leaders, ending with a gleeful cheer that once more the Sith will rule the galaxy, and we shall Palpatine's voice is like lower than it normally is. Yeah, it's creepy. Uh, it's very, it's, like, it's it's good that they, I you know, you just assume he's going to become a crusty old man, but to actually show this sequence the way they do is, it's bold. And it, I, for, for me, it's always worked. I think it's very, just everything about it changes. His his voice, his appearance, it's just there. I, I mean, you see that transformation for both these characters, but one is literally, I mean, he's literally a different character. Yeah. This. Now, one complaint I kind of agree with about this movie is Palpatine anoints him Vader, but, like, what's the context of the name Vader? Like, it's just like, okay, cool, you see him get the name, but why? Why why Vader? Like... (laughs) I guess you assume he's had the name in his pocket. I don't. I've never really questioned it. It's kind of. It is abrupt, but it's kind of just. I don't know the explanation behind it. Yeah. With the five hundred first, Anakin begins his assault on the Jedi Temple, while Sidious initiates Order sixty six. The Jedi around the galaxy are being hunted down by the clone troopers. Yoda, sensing this, drops his cane and clutches his chest. Only Yoda and Obi Wan manage to escape Order sixty six. At the temple, Vader finds the younglings in the council chamber. Master Skywalker, there are too many of them. What are we going to do? I, it's sad it, how many jokes have come from. You're right. It has been deaths. named. My yeah. favorite. I'm sorry, just to uh, interject that you know the whole twisted tea um, video that went viral last uh, last year. The guy smacking the twisted tea over the face of the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. someone made a meme of. Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? And then it's, instead of a lightsaber, it's a giant twisted tea can that someone that like photo, photoshopped in there. And I was like, Jesus, this, this is just getting, again, more how meme-centric uh, Revenge of the Sith is. I know, right? There's no verbal response, only a stare of pain and death with the ignition of his lightsaber. Padme from her par- apartment, her luxurious fucking apartment, weeps as she watches the temple burn. 
Bail Organa, Jimmy Smith's, doing his own investigation into what is transpiring at the temple. Upon landing, the clone troopers at gunpoint order the senator to leave. Before he can, Bail witnesses a Padawan gunned down. In his cry of no, Bail decides he cannot let this happen. The Tanti Four sends out a beacon to any Jedi still alive. Yoda and Obi-Wan manage to lock on it. Bail is called to a special session of the Senate. Yoda and Obi-Wan decide to use this as an opportunity to go back to the Jedi Temple. Anakin lands on the volcanic planet of Mustafar and butchers the remaining separatists. As the savagery unfolds, he looks, on, he looks at the camera with his Sith eyes. At the same moment, Palpatine declares, In order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure society. Where have we heard something similar to that before? <laughs> the, the Senate cheers as the music crescendos, ending with Padme wearing the rebellion seal in her hair. Louds. So this is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. Now, a lot to unpack um, there. I just want to start by yeah. saying what's interesting to me is Anakin is slaughtering the Separatists on Mustafar. Simultaneously, Yoda and Obi-Wan are butchering clone troopers. Again, the lines are being blurried. Who's really worse here? You know? Where, well, they're just, they're, then, they're out of, def they're doing it out of defense. That's the difference. Defense system. I guess you can claim it's defense, but it's not really. They could subdue them. They don't well, need the, to kill them. Well, as far, I, well, I guess the idea is that, and you'd know more about this than I do in terms of like, how in-depth Order 66 goes, because as far as my understanding goes, is that the clone troopers are all in that moment to ex execute any Jedi. So it's kind of like Yoda and Obi-Wan have no choice but to fight back. Yeah, I, well, I guess, the, sure, the Jedi way is this. I know you haven't seen Clone Wars, so I apologize mm -hmm. to anyone. This is going to be a spoiler, but there's a sequence where Ahsoka has the opportunity to slaughter the clones, and she says she will not be part of that. She, she says, I fought with these men. They fought with me. How can I do it? You know, that's kind of the same logic here. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, you are Jedi. You can take them down without killing them. And that's part of the. And that's why I'm saying part of this whole thing is you are showing, you are blurring the lines between the separate, uh, but sorry, between the Sith and the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you have the empire rising it's literally the galactic empire at this point. Yeah, Palpatine yeah. fucking did it. What a it's what a guy. I will say I I mean there are there are arguments that this is the only revenge of, and um, not to go into final thoughts of course, but it's that revenge of the Sith is the only prequel that's really truly necessary to telling a before story. And it's moments like these, like even just in the sequence that you were just describing that it's like they kind of nail exactly what it is that they want to see. It's not just about Anakin becoming uh, Darth Vader. It's about the the Empire being born. And it's well, like- That is truly the, I mean, to me, that's the story I like more than the Anakin one. Sure. Because I'm also political, per I love like politics in general. 
So watching a republic fall into an empire, and I said that in the Phantom Menace podcast, it doesn't just happen. You And you can't, if history shows you anything, it's that a republic or a democracy becoming a dictatorship never works unless the dictatorship is anointed in a quasi-legitimate way. <clears throat> Hitler didn't just become dictator. He right. was voted as chancellor and then took the control from there. Absolutely. And that's ultimately what I love. And that's, it's really, that's my, that would be my, I would go in depth in final thoughts of like the whole prequel trilogy, but that's what I love about even Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Because despite any bullshit going on, there's still like all, everything about the, what we were saying in the Attack of the Clones episode about how uh, every, everything with the notion of the clone army being built and everything about the pieces being planted, they're all coming into play. So even if you're like, like so many people give the movies flack where it's like, oh, well, like, you know, the uh, the Anakin and Padme love story is this or that. And it's like, yeah, but like what's happening behind the scenes is all building to revenge. That's what I saves like, Attack of the Clones right. for me. That's my favorite part of Attack of the Clones, Palpatine. And he's only in it for like, five minutes total what it does is it builds anticipation <clears throat> to make revenge of the sith as good as it is because does the movie stand on its own pretty well yeah but like i also feel like that i only appreciate as much as i do because of the build-up from the other two movies and again i don't mean to do this but you watch clone wars and the build you appreciate is it even more a lot better because not <laughs> only do you feel the mechanicians of the clone wars crushing the jedi but you feel the brotherly love between obi-wan and anakin that come that like kind of comes across in these movies but, but that relationship is explored much deeper Anakin and Obi-Wan's I, I duel hits a lot harder after you watch Clone Wars in the Jedi Temple Obi-Wan sends a new message telling all remaining Jedi to stay away Obi-Wan then watches the security footage of to find Anakin has <laughs> Obi-Wan then watches the security footage to find that Anakin has fallen to the dark side very very convenient footage very convenient. Uh, Palpatine convenient. just comes to the fucking temple. Like Anakin had his marching orders. Why are you Look, coming like to the they temple? They need exposition. They needed a way to merge these two storylines. This they is had... the most exposition I think I've seen in the entire prequel trilogy. But it's very, it's very just straightforward. It's kind of like, okay, this happens, and then he sees this, and then this, and then. But they had to get to this point, so yeah. I'm not disagreeing, but that's I agree. I actually no, I completely agree. But Yoda insists, destroy the Sith. We must. Yoda will take on Sidious while Obi-Wan begrudgingly agrees to find Anakin. To do so, Obi-Wan visits Padme. She will not give Anakin up to Obi-Wan even after being told of Anakin's dark deeds. Obi-Wan deduces that it is because Anakin is the father of Padme's unborn child. I want to just point out, in Clone Wars, there is heavy illusion that Obi-Wan knows more than he says he knows about Padme and Anakin's relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he never, it's kind of a 90s of military thing of don't ask, don't tell. He never asks, so he never truly knows. But he has a very, he's 99% sure that they're, you know, together. Aside aside from her, you mean before her having to conceal her pregnant belly? Yeah, before that, he knows. Because in Clone Wars, there's a moment where Anakin is talking to Padme and Obi-Wan is like you like I don't know what's going on here but like you gotta cool back a little bit you know like we're in the middle of war here keep it in your pants (laughs) Padme uh, loads up onto her ship with only C-3PO Anthony Daniels to visit Anakin and Mustafar 
Obi-Wan sneaks on board. Anakin looks out on the fiery planet fiercely with a tear in his eye. He sees Padme's ship approaching and meeting her on the loading dock. Padme wants to run away with Anakin to leave everything behind, but Anakin uh, insists that with his new powers, he can save her. He also believes that he is more powerful than Palpatine and can overthrow him. Padme backs away slowly saying, I don't believe what I'm hearing. Obi-Wan was right, you've changed. She begs him to come back to the light, but in that moment, Obi-Wan makes his presence known. Yeah, Caught tough stuff. Like he, at that moment, he's accusing Obi-Wan of having like slept with her. He's like I, very jealous. I know he doesn't, like, obviously, there's nothing to be jealous about, but he's fallen victim to his emotions at this point, and he has suspicions that Obi-Wan may have been banging Padme, too. The and Right. Obi-Wan standing there in that moment when she's begging him to come back, had Obi-Wan not been on that landing platform, again, it's these little moments, maybe he would have come back to the light. Right. He's so, again, it's him being tiptoeing that gray area it's him being being having a, a each foot in both areas you know he's so in the in the middle and and we'll we'll get on it later um the these these scenes but it's the as i i as much as the dialogue and the acting can be like kind of like yeah you know it can be both positive and negative at the same time this was one of those scenes there i i think it really works for me yeah i wanted to put like literally the entire script in this moment i can probably recite it without actually like looking at the script but I, for it'll time's come up, sake i wasn't gonna sure and it'll I, it'll come up later but that the way that it's handled everything about it with him with the with the choking and then there with obi-wan being there it's like that build-up is like it actually like it every time i watch it it still is effective in that moment once they come to that final moment right before they fight yeah. um that, but yeah <laughs> uh obi-wan makes his presence known caught off guard anakin chokes padme uh, obi-wan sees how corrupted yeah, anakin stuff. has become when he speaks of the peace brought to his new empire that whole, yeah that whole dialogue i love i i Let love everything go about, anakin about the, the Let uh or, go. Or peace yeah. and democracy i love i love it so much no he uh, doesn't say no democracy well obi-wan does that's what i mean yeah okay gotcha oh, for the, yeah, yeah, yeah um with no recourse obi-wan ignites his lightsaber and the duel begins sorry but i just want to go back yeah, yeah, yeah what you said about democracy though again that's part of the problem with not with the jedi in obi-wan in the phantom menace like I said, a big underplayed moment is Qui-Gon saying, Obi-Wan, you will be a great Jedi. And in that moment, he is not talking to Anakin like he is his brother anymore. He's talking as a Jedi official. My allegiance right. is to the Republic, to democracy. He's not saying my allegiance and my allegiance is to you, Anakin, like right. come back to the light. And He's saying, right. I need to do what I must again right. blurring the lines between jedi and sith it's the line yeah. is literally uh only a sith deals in absolutes well obi-wan you are dealing in absolutes as well in this moment well, right and that's why when anakin says if you're not with me um what does he say if um, you're not with me then you're, you're not with enemy. me then you're you're my enemy because that right there shows the difference between the two characters how the characters have changed in that moment because Anakin's acting exactly on a, again human emotion, where Obi Wan's trying to say like, "No, I'm acting on my 
politics and where I stand with my, you know, with where my beliefs are. So it's kind of like you almost get the idea, like you're saying about Anakin coming back to the light, where it's like in that moment where if Obi-Wan was like, no, I'm with you and I'm I'm here to support you. Yeah. And like, let's and then ultimately they could help him get better, almost like a rehab kind of thing. But like, but in the again, same time, the Jedi dogma clouds their mind into thinking and this carries through to the sequel trilogy. Oh, Yoda always says, once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Luke, what makes Luke so extraordinary is he does not take that as dogma. He right. says, no, there's still good in my father. I sense it. I can get him back to the light. That's right. what makes Luke different. Right. He throws away his lightsaber and is willing to say, I will die if, you, if there truly is no good in you, which is right. something Obi-Wan can't do. He right. needs to, him and Yoda need to kill the Sith. They can't right. just, you know, but again, that it's blurring the lines. Right. And then it- uh, um... But this also is why I think, Yo uh, sorry, Vader coming back for the Obi-Wan series could work. Because in Return of the Jedi, you have Vader saying, Obi-Wan once thought as you do when Luke mm -hmm. says like come back to the light at what point during this conversation do you see that you don't mm -hmm. so I think in Obi-Wan years after Vader has been Vader Obi-Wan oh, can whole, lead to mind, him his whole mindset will will change you exactly know? his whole mindset will change and, and Obi-Wan saying no come back to the light it's too late at that point mm -hmm. anyway Yoda with ease walks into the senate chambers I hear a new apprentice you have, Emperor, or should I call you Darth Sidious? The two spar verbally, then lightsabers come out. The Chancellor platform rises. We cut back to them as Sidious hurls senatorial seats at seat after seat at Yoda. Finally, Yoda sheathes his lightsaber and catches a seat as a planet and with his calm uh, repels it back at Sidious. Now, I just want to, before I continue, I want to go over the meta. I wish that we were doing like the Bong Joon-ho metaphor thing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Yoda and Sidious are literally fighting for the galaxy in the arena that houses the government of the galaxy. It's pretty cool, yeah. Not only that, but like I said, there's the moment where Sidious is hurling the Senate seats at Yoda, and it's very much like a truncated version of the Clone Wars. Sidious doesn't care how many people die, how many planets crumble, as long as he comes out on top. Right. Where Yoda, for so long, had been dodging the blast that Sidious had been throwing, finally stops, and in a moment of calm, catches a planet and realizes in this one moment with calm and through the Jedi force, through the Jedi way, I can possibly get a hit on you. Mm -hmm. Like, if I save one planet, I can say, or one person, Luke, if I can train Luke, I can throw something at you you are not expecting. Right. It, um, it's very metaphorical. It, their philosophies are explored in this very, like you said, literal metaphorical moment. With all his might, Sidious fires lightning at Yoda, but Yoda does not budge. The potential energy goes kinetic and blasts them both back. Sidious holds above. Yoda, realizing the battle has been over for years, leaves the scene, telling Bale, into exile I must go. Failed, I have. Now, in the 
novelization of episode three, there's a line, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a line that says, when Yoda is falling to the ground, he realizes that Sidious has been planning this for years. Like the Jedi have lost. They lost 10, 20 years ago, and they just didn't see it until now. And that's the, the way whole crux has of, to change. Yeah, that's the, and that's the whole crux of these movies. And we talked about that in our Attack of the Clones episode. We'll get to it more at the end, but it's like, that's the whole purpose is the failure. It's the, yeah, mm-hmm. no, no. it's the whole setup to, to fall. Sidious orders a ship uh, be readied. I sense Lord Vader is in danger. On Mustafar, Obi-Wan, and Obi, uh, on Mustafar, Obi-Wan and Anakin's duels had led them down to a molten river. Seeing that Anakin's dead Sith eyes, Obi-Wan professes, I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. Um, so they're both, Obi-Wan and Yoda are both reaching this moment of, of failure. Uh, the duel reaches a climax when Obi-Wan jumps onto solid high ground. Another memed moment. <laughs> but another More great. memes than I can. So many memes. But it is a great, it is a great moment. Anakin will not accept that Obi-Wan uh, could have beat him and he jumps. Obi-Wan slashes off Anakin's limbs. Shattered by what has transpired, Obi-Wan reminds Anakin who he was supposed to be. You were the chosen one! Anakin's rage pierces through. I hate you. I hate you. Such a, yeah. I just, I, I love it. Well, That's such to a, be fair to Anakin, I'd hate anyone at that particular an, moment. Too. Another great moment. Uh, Obi Wan mourns uh, the man Anakin used to be in response. To- My brother Anakin. Just then, Anakin catches fire. Obi-Wan uh, grabs Anakin's lightsaber and leaves. That's Rough kind of a dick move stuff. for Obi-Wan. I'll be I think honest. That, well, I I love the grab. I mean, I, I, I got to stop diverting as I talk so much, but it's like I, I love the constant grappling between the humanity and the and the politics because I think in this moment, Obi-Wan couldn't – he cares so much about Anakin that he can't kill him. He, he leaves him for dead that he that's all he can do that's why i love and you mcgregor again i said it in the i don't know if it's the phantom menace episode or the tag of clones that his acting both i guess he is, holds is, down this movie i mean him and ian mcdermott oh yeah because they, are, that hmm. oh no sorry yeah both I and mean, we'll get to the characters later of course in the standout character award they're but both it's like, okie day but <laughs> okie day but that moment even when he turns around and he catches fire and he's got this look where it's like he's actually like he's in pain. Like he can't look at him like that. He, all he can do is walk away. And I love that he doesn't have it in him to just actually kill him. He cuts off his limbs and leaves him for dead and he's on fire, but he, he can't do it. He literally just walks it away. to the will of the force. He right. kind of like Yoda has come to this wreck, this moment of clarity where they're saying like, they're coming to the terms with what Qui-Gon has been saying or had right. said years ago that the Jedi don't listen to the will of the force anymore. Right. And here they are listening finally and going, yeah. we're just going to let what happens, happens. The Sith had their plan. We're going to proceed with ours. Right. And that's, um, I mean, ultimately that's the payoff for who these characters later become in the in the original trilogy. And that's what yeah. makes this movie special in general. But we'll, like, like we said, we'll get there later. Uh, Obi-Wan grabs Anakin's lightsaber and leaves. Anakin managed to survive and crawls his way up to the edge of the cliff. Sidious finds him and orders them back to Coruscant. On, on Paulus Massa, Padme has lost the will to live. Really, it's really fucking easy, I guess, to just, you know, I don't, I don't want to do it so anymore. Sad. 
I feel like that's uh, you know something this generation, you know, the uh, the current young generation like can relate to. You know, I just I've lost the will to live. Except no one can just die that easily. You know. Oh, man. <laughs> I guarantee if that was possible, there'd be a lot more deaths during Corona just from people being sad <laughs> oh about God. being quarantined. Absolutely. Um, Vader, Luke, and Leia are are all born simultaneously. Uh, Padme whispers to Obi Wan, "There is still good in him. I know there's still." Luke begins to cry as his mother lay dead. In a chill-inducing moment, the mask is placed on Vader's head. He takes his first breath. Like Frankenstein's monster, the, the, the slab Vader rests on rises. Not free of Anakin completely, Vader asks his, mas his, asks his master, James Earl Jones' uh, voice over a reprise. Where is Padme? Is she safe? Is she all right? It seems in your anger, you killed her. Vader, enraged, destroys the lab. Sidious, in the shadows, smiles. Now, I just want to talk about two things. One, just like, I don't know if you picked up on this, but while Vader is being created, there's the overhead shot of him, and he's literally enmeshed in the Imperial Seal. Like, he's being constructed inside the Imperial Seal, mm -hmm. uh, which is just interesting. And two, I know that I keep talking about quasi-canon, but there are debates among Star Wars fans of whether Sidious was using Padme's life force to keep Anakin alive. He was literally stealing her life to give to Anakin to survive it, the surgery. The, the vagueness, which has come up in every of our prequel episodes now about how much uh, Sidious can orchestrate just goes into debate and question of how powerful the character really is because well, the fucker can survive being thrown down the Death Star shaft so uh, well it depends on what you consider canon <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wow thank you for reminding me that we have to cover that uh, soon but uh, anyway um, I think it's I, I, I actually enjoy that it's not confirmed I enjoy that it's not canon I enjoy that it's vague and that's up for debate because like Shmi being born uh, Shmi being pregnant with you know by via the force of to give birth to Anakin in the same way that Padme dying because she's lost the will to live are both like there's enough vague mystery behind it where it's like, well, what really Shmi being was the taken by the Tuscans? It's like all right. It's very it's it's straightforward enough, but vague enough that you could theorize. And that and I like the 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 uh, ambiguity of that. So yeah, Yoda, Bale, and Obi Wan conclude to keep the Sith away from the children. They must be separated. Some real parent trap stuff here. Uh, I guess this is what happened with Lindsay Lohan's parents too. Uh, <laughs> Bale will take Leia to Alderaan. Obi-Wan takes Luke to Tatooine and watches over him. Before the meeting is adjourned, Yoda has training for Obi-Wan, training from his old master, Qui-Gon. On Naboo, Padme's body is paraded solemnly down Thedes. And she looks fucking amazing. We should all look as good in our fucking caskets. Uh, <laughs> she has been given a fake pregnancy belly and is holding the totem Anakin carved for her in The Phantom Menace. That's her totem when she goes into the Inception world. Uh, the axis of evil, Sidious, Vader, and Tarkin look out on the skeletal construction of the Death Star. Obi-Wan hands Luke off to Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. They look out into the binary sunset. The end. And what an ending it is. Na -na. 
pretty good well not for the jedi but uh pretty good in general so let's move over to the canon corner uh there's no like big topic that i want to like cover necessarily but i just want to pick up like a couple little pieces here now uh anakin clearly loves padme but to think that obi-wan doesn't understand is a complete misrepresentation of Obi-Wan in the movies because in the Clone Wars, he has a love interest as well. Uh, Satine, the, du- the, grand- the Duchess Satine, who rules over Mandalore. Now, when he was a Padawan, he and Qui-Gon went to Mandalore for a- an extended mission. And while there, Obi-Wan fell in love with Satine. And in an episode, Obi-Wan says to her, had you have asked, I would have left the order. Anakin and Obi-Wan have more similarities than these movies, movies let on. on. And to me, that builds up just the inevitability of what happens. You know, or not the inevitability, but it adds to Obi-Wan's emotional restraint and emotional investment in the Jedi over his own personal needs. He's always chosen the Jedi order over the person he's supposed to care for. Right. I wouldn't say, based on what you're saying, I wouldn't say, because like I said, I haven't seen it. um, I wouldn't say it's that it it misrepresents his character, but I think it leaves a huge gap as to their understanding that he could have had that like his whole reluctance to you know be dedicated to the jedi order over whatever human emotions i mean it wouldn't have worked in the movie if he's like if there was like let's say there was dialogue where obi-wan's like i understand how you feel i once loved someone and like if you don't know the context of what of that story you were just saying it's like it would feel out of place um but it also does i guess solidify it also adds the to the tragedy the of Anakin because right. you're, you now watch Obi-Wan who was able to give up and surrender his love. Right. And you watch Anakin who was unable to do it. Uh, so. Correct. Yeah. There's definitely more depth. I mean, even just from knowing that backstory. Yeah. You ask why Yoda chose Dagobah or anyone asks why Yoda chose Dagobah. In a Clone Wars episode, he is brought to Dagobah as part of his quest to achieve immortality. Part of what makes Dagobah such a good hiding spot for Yoda is that it is shrouded in the dark side. The dark side consumes that planet whole. So his force abilities, his light, is concealed in the vast darkness of the so planet. So no one would pick up no on No one that. would be able to pick up on his presence because That's of how age. dark the planet is. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. and obviously it I has like the that. cave on that planet which, you know, is literally a black hole. Um, Obi-Wan's message to the other Jedi, you see that in Jedi Fallen Order and Rebels. He obviously sends a new message saying to all the Jedi, like, get away from the temple, get away, don't come back, please. And obviously more than just two Jedi survive Order 66. There have been, I think there've been 10 or 11 overall people that have survived i don't know all of them but there have been a few uh after now, yes 
No, I was saying now in terms of canon, the biggest gap is between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Now that's that those the Clone Wars battles that happened, that's all is that all depicted in the Clone Wars? Like a Clone Wars the show picks up right where Attack of the Clones leaves off, right? I mean, there's no like it it doesn't tell you when it picks up necessarily, but theoretically it picks up within like a couple months or maybe six or seven months after attack the clones but the show's primary storytelling is between that gap right between episodes two and three it is between episodes two and three yes okay even partially into three um Mm -hmm. but in between three and four there's 20 years there's no there's still a big gap but obviously rebels takes place in between there and so does does solo and rogue one so it's not like nothing has happened in between Mm -hmm. uh after the jedi were killed at the temple emperor palpatine takes that plant that temple and turns it into his home he lives in the spire that housed the jedi council just as a taunt but more so because underneath the temple there is a sith uh there's a sith uh archival cave underneath like deep underneath the jedi temple there's a sith temple which is why the jedi built it there the jedi built it there because they wanted to dull out the darkness and as kind of a taunt to the sith like haha we beat you no yeah no it's very um it's a dick move (laughs) yeah palpatine after becoming emperor didn't really have much of a political like like he didn't care too much about the actual day-to-day operations of his empire. Sure. He just wanted to be in control of it all. He spent right. a lot of time in that Sith temple underneath yeah. the council, underneath the Jedi temple. As he let, you know, he wanted to build his power and find and achieve immortality too, mm-hmm. which again, the rise of Skywalker picks up on. Uh, there's a Vader comic that takes place immediately after episode three as well. Like literally immediately. Uh, it's Vader shouting no and then you cut into the uh, comic and he pushes Sidious to the wall and Sidious gets up and electrocutes Vader and it's like don't you fucking do that ever again you're no longer Anakin Skywalker you are my bitch like so that's so they just get vulgar it's just an R-rated comic right from the beginning well at that point Palpatine no longer has to be the charming (laughs) man he is in complete control but I mean they uh they're not used there you know they're sticking more of the lucas friendly dialogue not calling each other bitches i assume but no they they're not <laughs> using the term bitches and and uh vader's first mission is to hunt down a jedi on a planet in the outer rim where he goes without a lightsaber his goal is to get that jedi's lightsaber and attain his kyber crystal because they uprooted and changed the canon in terms of how you get a red lightsaber to get a red lightsaber, you can't just find a kyber crystal. You have to kill a Jedi. And what you do is you take their lightsaber and you take their kyber crystal and you corrupt it. You put all your hatred and anger into the crystal and make it bleed. And that is why it's red. It bleeds. It's a bleeding crystal. So wow. uh, that's all I got for Cannon Corner. That's good. No, that's good. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that very much. 
I like this. I like this very yeah, much. Just very much. Um, thank you for filling the folks in, including folks, including myself. Um, so let's get into the awards. Josh, tell the good people, what are the awards? So as always, we have most iconic moments, clunkiest dialogue, the John Williams Award, best creature or droid design, the standout character, and best use of the force. So I don't know if you want me to kick it off or you want to kick it off or... Go for it. Um, so most iconic moment. This is tough because uh, if Phantom Menace had the most one-liners... This had probably the most iconic moments. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't really know. The whole last 20 minutes is just filled with iconic moments. Um, well, yeah, just go on and then I'll uh, get to um, it. It's really like, I really, so I, I think the whole Mace Windu versus Palpatine moment was, was iconic as a runner up. Um, everything about that uh, just leading to, uh, Palpatine looking like the old emperor and then, uh, you know, Anakin helping uh, uh, kill Mace Windu and then that's whole, like, the introduction to Vader, that whole scene is just incredible. Wait, Palpatine's um, the emperor? Yes. <laughs> I think that the opera scene was, like, so close for me, as we talked about earlier. It's just probably the most pivotal shifting moment of this whole yeah. of the whole prequel trilogy. It's the shifting moments. The chess well, if we're talking about last... favorite moments, that's probably mine, but we're talking about iconic moments. Most iconic moment for me, I'd have to be when you hear Vader breathe for the first time. Okay, that's a good one. That's that the helmet. Because that moment for me is like, it's taking everything I knew would come and it's like, you're giving, this movie's filled with nuggets at the end that it's like, here's what you've been waiting for and here it is. You want the binary sunset, you want the helmet, you want the twins. And it's like, we've been waiting for it. So it's like, by, by the time the helmet goes on and you hear that breath, it's like, it gives me chills in ways that like, I don't get from lots of movies. So that's going to be mine. Yeah, I, any of those I could have gone with too. You mentioned a lot of my runner ups, but the one I had to go to was Obi-Wan fighting Anakin specifically the moment when they're holding each other's arms with the lightsabers and the lava behind them just explodes to me that's like the most iconic shot of this entire movie so that's, no, what that's I went good with. that's uh, good clunkiest dialogue again uh, it's got to be the love shit between padme and anakin when they're in padme's apartment and she's like brushing her hair and for some reason i don't know if like you agree with this but that to me that never looks like natalie portman i don't know why it's just like she looks different um it's different it's a different look for the character i get i, I, don't, I know. don't know but uh she is like so love has blinded you and he's like no it's because i'm so much in love with you and i'm like uh, uh, vomiting in the floor i'm like uh, uh. <laughs> Um, I think the Padme Anakin dialogue is the only time it really feels as clunky as it does because Star Wars is filled with like otherwise seemingly corny dialogue but if it's done in the right way you don't you, it's easy to dismiss but the scenes here just are a repeat of Attack of the Clones with them in the meadows I mean of the my so my answer is what we talked about right before the Obi-Wan shows up at the end on Mustafar uh, because it's like as compelling as it becomes that dialogue there, um, I won't Padme do the whole. And uh, Anakin style. And Anakin, yeah, it's it's really the, the the specific line is like, I don't Anakin, think so. Really like oh, we're uh, trying to turn. Yeah, well, even that I don't really mind. It's really the love is the, the moment I have is like all I want is your love, and it says love love won't save you, Padme. Only my new powers can, and it's like stuff like that. It's kind of like 
I get it. You're building the story forward and you have to make these characters come to fruition. Two characters otherwise don't seem to, or two actors, I guess, who don't share much chemistry or the writing who do, doesn't work for their well, chemistry. that was after their breakup, so. <laughs> but I, either either way, it just doesn't, like that always like, you know, love won't save you, Padme, only my new power skin. So it's like, again, the, the Padme Anakin shit, it's toned down severely compared to what it was in Attack of the Clones. Absolutely. Which is good. But I, it's undeniable. It's inevitable. The, uh, yeah, the I, dialogue, but that's the worst. Uh, the John <laughs> Williams Award, go for it. This is a tough one. This to me, this was the toughest award for this one because I love this album. I think that I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I could just because I the, my runner-ups will probably be will inevitably be some of yours. But my um, runner-up is the General Grievous bit when he. Um, it's such a short bit. Oh yeah, it's longer On, in the album. I wrote that down as a I I was like and my notice literally. This probably won't come up, but I need to talk about it. General Grievous speaks to Lord Sidious. That cool, when he the, lands when, on when the, the choir pal. comes up, I like wish they did more of that because he, it's yeah, like so. It's just big build up to the character, and I'm like, oh, give me more of this. So it's such a tease. So I couldn't pick it. Um, another runner up. Good. I another. Ah, God, this is really where it. It. I. In either of these, like we do with our rankings. Either of these could be first place, but my runner-up, my real runner-up, is the Battle of the Heroes. Yep, that's, um, that's another one for me. Uh, and I, and I just feel like, and I, if you, ha- if this is yours, I won't harp on it too much, but or we could make it a discussion piece. But yeah. I feel like Anakin's betrayal is the that's one. That's mine as well. You literally wrote down the three that I wrote down. <laughs> Anakin's like, betrayal you know, is just so heartbreaking and. It's it's the it's the song that plays when Anakin is invading the temple and Order sixty six is given. No music in this movie hits as hard for me as that, because Williams is somber. I mean, it's no secret that Williams knows how to set mood. Like you listen to the Schindler's List soundtrack and you're just like ready to fucking like go into a depressive state. So like he he understands how to do it. It's just like this knocks it out of the park. I think well part of what I said with um across the stars from attack of the clones the lover the love theme, the love theme is that john williams writes music that carries the scenes themselves sometimes like sometimes yeah, that's, he his that's a good point sometimes his music carries the scene now the order 66 sequence is sad enough but i think it's that it's that score that builds and builds as the characters die in a montage that it's well, like it's, it's the it's score done. helps a lot because you're killing off characters that you're supposed to care about but you don't really know unless you watched Clone Wars. Like Pietti Mundi, it's sadder when he dies when you watch Clone Wars because you've had a couple of adventures with him. But if you're just watching the movies, it's like, okay, who is this guy? But I, 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 I mean, I don't disagree, but I think it's such a testament to John Williams' talent because I barely knew these characters and I still felt sad. But that's my them, point. Them you know, through the music, he's telling you this is some sad shit, even yeah. though you don't really know the characters. I, I had before uh, Rise of Skywalker came out and because it was going to be the last of the Skywalker uh, saga, I had intro- I told you uh, off air that I had introduced the Star Wars films to my mother. So it's like we watched them all. for And, and she wanted to, she demanded they be watching Chronological Order so she could understand. She's, um, and it was it's funny because by the time, because she's a very emotional person when she watches movies, she wears her heart on her sleeve. So it's always... So by the time we got to Anakin's betrayal in Order 66, it's like, that's the moment where she just started crying. And like, I was like laughing. I'm like, this is like, yeah, it's the saddest scene. This is when everyone is is crying. And it's funny because I feel like that's the, the manifestation of how when people have reactions to this, well, it's really the ending 
happening. But this is the beginning of like the roller coaster of emotions for people getting into it for the first time. Uh, yeah. We've talked about reaction videos on YouTube to, to Revenge This is of the, the scene that you're watching the, the reaction videos for. <laughs> and you're like, you just see people like holding back and like, it's a, it's, it's easy for me to like laugh at, but it's also like, I get it. Like, I feel that way. It's hard for me to not want to get choked up because like, this the score does it the store the score helps carry the weight of that of that devastation absolutely <laughs> um so best creature design i went with the lizard thing that obi-wan is riding on Utapau. yeah that thing is just so cool and the sound design too i love it it's not a big part of any movie but he he's so it's so cool but it's a uh, very unique creature design i love it um my uh, best creature droid design i went i went with grievous yeah the, the lizard was my runner but grievous i guess was the easier answer um i love that he looks like a droid and then you see him up close and you see his eyes and you see his skin and you realize that he's not i gotta say grievous's cg holds up extremely well like his yep. eyeballs like the detail in there is fucking crazy um that whole sequence where he fights obi-wan i know i said briefly that i, I love that scene but like there's that close-up I think it is that what you just said, but it's like mm-hmm. close up where they show everyone's face. They yeah, show and they show Grievous's. That's what I'm talking about. Face. It's so good. It's really just, I love that this, I, and I love, I have, again, I haven't seen Clone Wars, but it's like, I love the mystery, the mystery behind the way that this creature looks, that he There's looks like There's still droid. a lot of mystery to him, even if you do watch Clone Wars. The only thing that you gauge more with Clone Wars is that he truly is a coward. Like they mention it several times in this movie, like Grievous is a coward. And- <laughs> You, you get that a lot more. Anyway, Absolutely. who's your standout character? Um, this was tough. Um, oh, for me, it was easy. <laughs> so well, easy. Like, well, for me, it's like, it's Palpatine's movie. Yep. So it's like... That, I, that's my standout. I yeah. just feel that's like it's, it's, easy. The, it's the only answer, really. But like, I'm, I'm going to... So I had a feeling that you... Not just to, to have diff- a different answer than you, but I, it's just Palpatine carries this movie. You don't really have the movie without him. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'll harp more on... Um, you and McGregor and Obi-Wan because those are the, really the only two answers because really I mean like because with Obi-Wan he's this again with the manifestation of like that that line between human and uh falling on, on the human emotions and then falling with Jedi politics it's like yes Anakin is the central character in terms of that dispute but Obi-Wan is like a very he's a very real heartfelt character and you really feel this more than anything else and again that's a testament to you, McGregor's uh, acting. What's fascinating is Palpatine and Obi Wan are very much like the angel and demon standing on Anakin's shoulder, and yet mm-hmm. Anakin's involvement in the story can be the focal. It can be the focal point. If you want, if you walk away saying he's the standout character, I understand, but I feel like the mechanicians around him to me are more interesting than him, than his character himself. Sure. So Palpatine's manipulation, his years of planning come to fruition in this movie. Yeah. And like I've been saying throughout the entire podcast, things could have gone wrong. Like very easily. There are moments when Anakin could, like could have gone a different path, had someone said something different, or if the Jedi weren't the Jedi, you know, but everything just falls into place and Palpatine was able to maneuver it all and in an, I know this is like strange to say because it's literally a movie about a galaxy far, far away, but it's in a realistic way. 
sure. compared to like the rise of Skywalker where he just magically appears and is like, yeah, I've been manipulating everything the whole time. It's In these movies yeah. you've seen since episode one, how he has been moving the chess pieces and it just builds when you get to episode six, when in episode six, you see just the mechanicians he's moving again. When he's left the destruction of the rebellion to Tarkin who's failed, he's left it to Vader who's failed. And he's like, you know what fuckers, I'm gonna do it myself. I'm gonna set the trap, you know? But so to me- No, it's good. And 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 I think it's good that that's, like you said, the, the angel and demon on Anakin's shoulders is a great representation of who those characters are. And it's the reason why I think they're the two standout characters because it's, uh, they're both the polar opposite characters who, like you said, feel like they maneuver in a realistic way. They're both different, but they're all, but what, again, what has been, what's so interesting about this podcast and just talking about it, it's just like, they're different, but they're the same. They're both fighting for their own dogma. But at the same time, Obi-Wan is there talking about how he won't deal in absolutes. And yet he's ready to kill Anakin even though he can't right, kill Anakin, right. he's prepared to do it. It's right, just of course. like... Well, and what this ultimately does, and this will tease you know, episode, a few episodes from now, but it's like what this does to show the, such a balance, for lack of a better word, in, in the Force, um, the balance of these characters and, and their balance in the Force is, is what, and what you're saying about dogma, is what makes The Last Jedi as, as special as it is. Oh, absolutely. Because I, the this Last movie Jedi alone... permeating throughout my brain in this movie because right. in The Last Jedi, Luke says to Rey, like, the Jedi were wrong. Right. Like, we can't fall for the same stuff. And watching episode six, too, it's like, we'll get to that when we get to it, but Yoda has learned some stuff, but in many ways he's learned nothing because he's very last, much so what, yeah. His dying wish is that Luke train more Jedi, which I get it, but you're teaching the exact same way that you taught that led to this point. Obi-Wan and Yoda are still dealing in absolutes. When they send him to kill Vader in episode six, it's like they've learned nothing because they're right. like, you either end killing Vader or you don't become a Jedi at all. Right. They've anyway, become, we'll they've that when we get into become more humble, but it's also like, it shows how set in their ways they are, which is why you said Last Jedi permeating throughout this. It's just like, this is the movie that sets up that's part of what sets up why The Last Jedi works as well as it does, because it's taking themes from not just the original trilogy, but especially the prequel trilogy to show that, hey, this philosophy is flawed. Yeah. So um, it's, 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 it's uh, fabulous. Fabulous. Uh, best use of the force. Best use of the force. I could have gone with a lot of things, but at the end of Same. the day, I went with Yoda versus Palpatine, specifically when both of them are like in very close contact. Sidious is shooting his... Uh, lightning and yoda's catching it mm -hmm. to me that's like the strongest moment of the force because it's literally just like the energy between them is literally so explosive and it's showing that it's very similar to what attack of the clones teased in terms of sidious using the lightning and then yoda yeah. catching it this is just more of a met like you were saying earlier like a metaphorical portrayal of it the only other answer i could have gone with and this is like the reason I didn't go with it is because it's like in a weird world, but I would say the will of the force in of itself is the best use of the force. In, in what scene? Like in, in what, what example? No, it, 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 
because that's the thing. There's no one scene. It's just at the end of this movie, the will of the force is dictated that the Jedi's time is up. And oh, I see. It's time for the Sith to rule for a little while. But you also have Luke as the spark. So the force has literally laid a seed for the light to come back. So, but that's again, a great that's like way a of weird... looking at it. Well, well, it's not a literal answer. We we're looking. Yeah, well, we're talking. You saying. and I are talking about. You and I are talking about the metaphysical um, manifestation. Manifestation. Of thank you of the force. Where we're talking about it used in literal scenes versus what Yoda uh, talks to Luke about in Empire, where it's like the Yoda is the is the it binds us, it surrounds us, as yeah. being an energy rather than being a literal force field. So exactly. To speak. So what's um, your answer? My uh, got a couple runner ups. I have uh, Yoda. Uh, knocking the guards into the wall it still gives me a chuckle Classic. every time i just love that he it's just to show how powerful he is he just walks in and he kind of just does his little thing and the guards just hit the wall it's just well, a, that's it's, why i wrote in my uh synopsis with ease he enters the senatorial chambers it, because it, he literally just pushes right. them and it's like it's you, played you for laughs this. it's played for laughs but it's also to play up how powerful the character is and it works it works in a funny way and it works in an effective way um another runner-up i had were obi-wan and anakin in that moment where the hands meet and they're during their fight because mm. i just love that there's that moment and but you could talk a lot about the final battle and battle of the heroes and whatever but that whole idea that they're so equal uh their power their uh, their powerful level like their power levels it's like well, they're both equally powerful the thing is um, i don't think that they're as equal as they seem to be at that particular moment i think anakin is stronger than obi-wan he's a better swordsman than obi-wan but what stops anakin from winning ultimately is his arrogance and his oh, yeah. and his emotional state had he been more concentrated controlled and more yeah. controlled he probably would have won in maybe even faster yeah but it's because he's so blindly angry that it just causes yeah. stuff, which is a great point about like the whole fruition of their relationship but that moment where they're fighting and fighting and it's this great cgi with lava and they're swinging and it's wonderful and it works but to show that moment where they're swinging their sabers and their hands meet in the middle and it's like uh i don't know it's just it's cool you know um but the answer i actually have and it's kind of a play on uh, to to piggyback off of the john williams award is during order 66 when yoda feels the death of the jet that i not to harp more on that moment and how sad it is but it's to show how the force is a more than just something used for manipulating or moving or fighting and it's kind of like what you were saying about the force being like a, a thing in itself that's well, again, that goes back to The Last Jedi, where Rey is like, it's to move rocks and stuff. And Luke right. says, amazing, every word of what you just said is it's, wrong. Is wrong. Where you get to the Rise of Skywalker, and it's like, you're dealing with the Force in its fantastical sense, not in its depth. Right. When the Force feels like magic, it's visually pleasing. It's a visual aesthetic that works. But like, I, the Force is more powerful like for lack of better words when it's more emotionally powerful when it's like characters connecting you know what i mean and it's yeah, kind of well, like its will dictates everything and in that regards it's more fascinating to look at than sure. just what can be attained by it which is i guess a more of a jedi way of looking at it because the sith use the force for their own personal gain right and that's so. why i love when yoda it's a it's again it's to add on the sadness of the scene but when he drops the cane and he, and grabs, he clutches he punches, his chest. Just, just it's dramatic but it's like also to show like how he feels through the force he can he's so connected to the spiritual force field to the spirit 
spiritual energy that it, he can feel the pain when you know his uh you know the the, the jedi are, are being killed and it's just i think it's a very emotionally effective way in which the force is used yeah so, so that wraps up the awards yes. so i know we've talked a lot about this movie already but let's get into our final discussion here uh, I, I guess I'll start this time. What's fascinating about this movie is just how much time and distance from it has helped it. I think that a lot of people watching this movie when they first walked out of it, obviously everyone knew from the onset it was the best prequel movie that came out. But I think it has grown in estimation into being one of the best Star Wars movies, not just the best prequel. You know, like a lot of people that I show the Star Wars movies to, or even a lot of the YouTube reaction videos that I watch, a lot of people walk away going, this is the best Star Wars movie they've seen, not just the best prequel they've seen. Maybe it has to do with the fact that they've watched two boring movies prior, but there's something about this movie that George is untethered to the rules in it maybe because you know where it's going and where it has to go and you know how sad it's going to be and you know you think it's a star wars movie maybe he won't go there but he does and it hits all the harder because he goes to places that he goes had this been a disney acquisition in 2004 2003 this movie would not have been made I, at all. Disney I think, will never, ever show a child getting killed. Ever. I was I was going to say, I think that part of what you and I just talked about off air is that the whole idea of the Disney personification and the problems that I have with how safe it feels. And like, again, and I would love to be proved wrong, but like, I think that's a good point. I think that- Proof against this is Rogue One when they all die. But at the same time- Sure. I'm not saying that they're not ballsy, but I think that like in terms of showing the personality of, you know, a grim, realistic, dark kind of uh, personification of, of any element in a movie, it's something that doesn't like it's the nature of Disney. Um, I think that even in Ro the end of Rogue One, it feels Hollywood, not in a bad way. It's an incredibly effective ending. We'll obviously talk about it soon, but it's like, it's not the same as when you watch Revenge of the, the, the darkness of it. And like you said, even the, him killing a child, it's like there's these little moments where it's like, oh, children. they're like our children, not just a child, not just one child. They're, 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 they're crossing the lines. Well, no, I'm, I'm harping more of just the, the Mattress Skywalker. Oh, they show the bodies of the children. Yeah. But I think that even if Disney decided to make the prequel trilogy, if they got this deal in 2000, when it will, if they got the deal back in the day, I think the movie still would have been made. It would have been made similarly. Maybe they would have been a lot different, but I think, I think that part of what makes it special is that George does go full blown. Like I'm going to go dark as, as dark as I can with star Wars without it being like, you know, more intense than it needs to be. This is the yeah. most intense of all the star Wars. You Not know? only is it the most intense, but it also has the most depth than any other star Wars movie. You and I throughout the podcast had to stop numerous times and talk about the segments that are happening and just the like, how much depth is behind things, you know, this had, the, yeah. not just on a like Palpatine is doing this to pull the strings here kind of way, but in a metaphorical sense, we talked about obviously Plagueis' story and the opera, like what's playing at the opera. 
we talked about the fight between Yoda and Sidious, but we also, but we didn't talk about um, Mustafar itself and how it's literally a manifestation of Lucifer going to hell. It is a fallen angel looking out on his new kingdom, which again is expanded in Rogue One when he literally has a castle on this molten lava planet. The um, the IMDb note is that George wanted to make his version of hell, like the 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 galaxy's version of hell. That's basically what Mustafar is. So, um, I I think that like like I had alluded to earlier, saying that people there are people who perceive this as the only necessary prequel, um, whereas I think that the whole build up to it is what makes it special. Um, but like from beginning to finish, this is it's filled with grandiose moments that drive the importance of the prequel saga in general. Like sure, the movies, it, it's, it's got clunky dialogue. It's got wooden acting. It's still got Hayden Christensen. It's still like, there are still countless problems with the movie, but like, if you just like get rid of the snarky, you know, film criticism of, of whatever anyone wants to say negatively about any of these movies, this one particularly has the most significant moments I mean, there is just, there is so much happening in it that like we had said earlier, it's, it's bloated, but like it, it's still important. It's still irrelevant. It's still, it doesn't feel like there's really any dead space or any negative wasted uh, areas of it. It doesn't feel like there's any real side quests or any nonsense that feels like it could have been cut. Like it all feels important. This movie also has a interesting task in which it has to, it starts on a grand scale and has to narrow in where like a lot of movies it's about world building in this movie it's about world crumbling where you start with this big universe and through order 66 you see the inevitability of like this doesn't matter anymore this doesn't matter anymore this doesn't matter anymore we are honing we are going from a giant world into four characters confronting each other at the Mm -hmm. end and how they're duels shape the galaxy and I, I but think in the, the end it doesn't even yeah. matter because it all falls back to luke right it's all been building to luke you know the whole idea of qui-gon's and that's why i love the whole idea of qui-gon's prophecy or whatever in the in, in phantom menace is like you know you think it's about anakin but is, is it really about luke and then the, well, you have this idea of it. The, the, there's debate uh, amongst who is the chosen one i think i mentioned this in phantom menace but qui-gon is adamant and so is George Lucas that Anakin is the chosen one. He brings balance to the force. But Obi-Wan, after Anakin's turn, wholeheartedly believes that Luke is the chosen one. And then if you want to go further into the sequel trilogy, you can argue maybe Rey was the chosen one. So it, you know, it's all a matter, it's all true from a certain point of view, I guess. <laughs> And what I like about like uh, what you were saying about like the ambiguity, you keep alluding to the ambiguity of, of Sidious's um, influence on on Anakin's journey and becoming Darth Vader. And so I think that what I like is that the idea of the the chosen one and the prophecy not necessarily. I know this is a little like vague and a little like I guess um a little spiritual mumbo jumbo of like the of the will of, of the of the notion of the force but it's almost like more of the manifestation of an idea rather than a person like sure like because like anakin is the chosen one to to agree and then obviously by the time you get to return to jedi it's like he's the one who ultimately makes this decision that makes 
that brings the balance. It's in his death that well, brings it. Whatever. It doesn't really anymore because Sidious survives, which but that's, undercuts we'll, everything. But which we'll get to when we we'll get, get to that. We, but yeah, even exactly. then, the whole idea of what Ray represents in terms of what Luke and Anakin once represented is the term of the Force being a thing in itself, and the Chosen One being like just the person who carries what whatever that balance is. But um, that is truly the crux of it. What what does balance mean? Right. You know, to the Jedi, balance means that the Jedi take the Sith and continue their rule over the galaxy. Like they continue to be who the Jedi are. Where Palpatine takes it to mean, no, the Sith are going to rule. But then, you know, in terms of the movie, in terms of the movie here, there in a sense, he did bring balance to the Force because in the movie canon, forgetting the TV shows and all the other Jedi that survived Order 66, you have, at the end of this movie, you have two Jedi and two Sith. You have Yoda, Obi-Wan, Sidious, and Vader. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then once Luke begins his training, Obi-Wan dies, meaning that the balance is upheld. It's still two and two. So there's like... Yeah there is some sort of balance to it. I think that's ultimately the driving force as to what makes it all work. And I the think force. that, <laughs> I, I think that the, 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 what I think that part of what we've been saying in the last couple of weeks, and what we were uh, alluding to earlier is the notion of the Jedi being wrong. The whole idea that they are part of their own undoing. Yeah. I think part of this is like, you watch this, the original trilogy and you're like, oh, the Jedi are legends. They're these like characters of good and whatever. And then this whole notion that, yeah, yeah, they had good intentions, but they were, they couldn't. And what we, like fallible. we said, the attack of the clones, right. They couldn't see through. And I think that's what makes all these movies special. But that's what prequels. makes the last Jedi. So in, I know we keep going back to it, but that's what makes the last Jedi so important it shows that Luke is truly the only Jedi who has learned anything because he took the middle road. And he, again, Obi-Wan and Yoda tell him flat out, kill Vader, kill him. Like, you gotta, you can't, there, you can't have balance unless he is dead. Mm -hmm. But Luke finds the other path. And when you get to The Last Jedi, <clears throat> he has found a different path. He says, fuck it. I'm not dealing with any of this, you know? But the at the end, he, I mean, he's telling Rey flat out, the Jedi were arrogant assholes. Just because the Jedi don't exist doesn't mean that the light doesn't exist. Balance will always find a way. So... Again, we'll get to that when we get to the last Jedi. But this is the movie that kind of teases those themes even more so. It makes those themes so much more important. So that's all that to say is the importance of Revenge of the Sith lies beyond not just a movie in itself or the prequel trilogy in itself, but what it represents in terms of the debate between balance in all the future Star Wars movies. I am all the Sith. <laughs> oh, man. So and I think, I think I that's think a good spot talked a lot about this movie and i'm sure it will come up again as we do future ones mm -hmm. so tell me josh do you have a pick of the week um i do um with a uh, phantom menace and a, attack of the clones i went with more uh, movies that are usually criticized or panned uh, that i defend um but this i'm gonna go more of the prequel route um i picked a, a Don't say red the hobbit 
no well, listen how about you let me have my let me just say what i want to say <laughs> did you say the hobbit what did you but, say no, 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 no. Well, if I had The Hobbit, I would have to pick one of them, which would probably be part two of, of those. But even then, The Hobbit in general is just, there's that, well, we could save all that talk for another time, maybe a note. <laughs> yeah, go on. So what, what uh, was your pick? No, I was going to say uh, my pick is Red Dragon, the uh, prequel to uh, Silence, Animal, of the uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of like prequels, there are very, they're always a tricky beast. I think of like Revenge of the Sith working as a prequel. There's because literally takes, a beast in that movie. There's, yeah, and I think of the... The the I think of the necessity of a prequel. Like I watch you watch a prequel, you go, is this necessary to the story? And a lot of times it's no. Like even I will be like Prometheus. So there's one I could have picked to defend because I enjoyed Prometheus. And then Alien Covenant is kind of like, all right, well, what do I even? What, what's even the hell? What the hell is even the point of these prequels? So, but that's there's none. <laughs> that's 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 a hearsay. When I think of Red Dragon, I think of like, why is it that Hannibal Lecter is such a scary character? And you, what you're doing is you're building a villain in the background, not unlike the way that they build Palpatine as a villain in the background of Revenge of the Sith. So that's kind of where my 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 head was. This is um, flaming dragon. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think prequels often shine as close as they do to, to original movies that they're, you know, they uh, attaching to. Ever do. But I um I I think Red Dragon's one of the better prequels. I think it works and I think it works because Hannibal's a background character and you just see how uh, he becomes what he is a, a little bit more. Uh, it like I said in the way that you see how Palpatine becomes Sidious. It's just very. It's a young. good one. That's a good movie. It works. It but works I think that me, Ray so. Fiennes is probably the standout in that one. Oh, he's so good. Kevin Hannibal. Um, oh, yeah, he's so good. Um, for yeah, my pick of the week, I'm gonna go with. I have two in mind, so I'm just gonna say. That's fine. Let's go with, uh, Infinity War, Avengers: Infinity War. I know that. Infinity War, it's rough because you have to watch like every other Marvel movie before you watch it. But at the end of the day, Infinity War, the hero of Infinity War or the main character of Infinity War is Thanos. It is a villain. And that is what this movie is. It is a villain story. The villain comes out on top, just like Infinity War. Infinity War, spoiler alert, guys, but Thanos snaps his fingers and most of the heroes go away. Just like in this movie, Sidious orders 66 and most of the Jedi go away. That's a great comparison. So it neither one of them has a necessarily happy ending, but there's still hope on at the end of both of them. The only uh, regret there is of Revenge of the Sith is there's no moment when Sidious just walks into a field and sits down and has his Folgers coffee looking out on the sunset. But I'm sure that's in the four hour cut. I'm finished. <laughs> the unfinished cut. So I that's my pick of the week. Oh, so no, next good. week we will come back and we will get into our first Star Wars story, the anthology movies with Solo. Yes. So yes. Uh, for those of you not on board, you know, you know, we'll uh, we'll see you again when we pick up the regular episodes. But yeah, <laughs> we're gonna do it all. We're sticking to the chronological order here, like it or not. So we're doing Red Cup next. We are gonna do it live. Yes. Um, Too bad we're not doing the Lord and Miller cut, but we are doing the movie. So we will see you next time. Make sure you get a landing pass and before... hop onto the Falcon. Before you hop onto the Falcon, uh, oh, and the, good, the yes. good people at home can I find me. I keep forgetting me. things at the end of it's these okay. podcasts. It's okay, don't worry about it. I'm it's getting okay. old, we, guys. We talk a lot here, so it's like we have a lot of time. 
I'm and, getting old, guys. I have bifocals I, now. No, what um, is, well, my no, age, no I, I don't think I will. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. So, so the good people at home can find me, myself, on Letterboxd at Bish, B-E-S-H. It's exactly how it sounds. Um, and Steve, you can find me on Instagram at on Instagram and Letterbox. Sorry, you can find me on two places at Mr. Filmart. You can follow the podcast on Instagram yes. at Who's Filmography. Follow and now show. I will officially sign out and say, get your red cups, <laughs> hop on the Falcon, and get your landing pass. We will see you next week. Thank you.